Die ist falsch, ist Jack, die UCC, no Countbook 3 FM, hat geistige Banshee Banter, Le Misha James O'Mara, August. Bisha, Ifani Le Basna. And today we're joined with a very special guest, Enda Brennan from the um, Instagram account, Danina Day. Um, Enda, would you like to do a bit of an introduction? Yeah, absolutely. Um, hello, my name is Enda Brennan. I am a writer, researcher, painter, um, also mostly weight tables in <laughs> 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 uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I run the account Danina Day, and it is absolutely a great passion of mine to write about Irish language lexicography, which ends up me researching history, folklore, all different kinds of corners of Irish language and such. It's really, it's really been fun. So it's good to be on. Woo! Yeah, delighted to have you on. Um, you're joining us from the U.S. and I think it's 8 a.m. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's very early, so I am getting caffeinated, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, and I guess I've been following you, I think, for about a year. I think it's maybe over a year. Um, awesome. I'm a bit obsessed with your account, and I remember <laughs> when I first followed it, you actually, you didn't have many followers when I first followed, um, and I remember just being like, it's like you've made it for me. <laughs> Like it's, oh my god! <laughs> I would really encourage any listeners to follow the account, and we'll come back to this obviously again at the end because it's an unbelievable reference point um, for any kind of word or idea you're interested in. And I really love the way that you sort of approach these questions. Like you'll take one of these words, and then um, I remember actually one of the first posts of yours that really stood out to me. Uh, that I saw was about it was actually a picture which was yeah it was actually one of your ones which was unrelated to Deneen um, but um, I'd like to talk about that more sorry I'm going off topic already I'm just so excited <laughs> you're fine, you're fine. but would you maybe give an explanation about um, who Deneen is and what the dictionary is and like how you came to um, come about that and find it like as a point of research for you yeah so I had never really heard of Deneen I I don't know where to start with this. So Irish has always had, like, the language has always had a context in my life. I grew up um, on the Rhode Island, Massachusetts border, about an hour south of Boston. Um, grew up doing Irish dance. Uh, my dance teachers were from Galway. My, a lot of pe- older people in my parish church are from um, Cary and such. So I grew up hearing a lot of Irish in my community, um, oddly enough. And then... Um, and in recovery from alcoholism, I kind of got around to learning it as part of sort of a living amends to my my heritage there. Um, and it's been a, it became a wonderful way to connect with ancestry. And then this, mm-hmm. I discovered Deneen. I think I was following the Irish for um, Dara Crochet's podcast, and I was just really. He posted a couple words from this guy Deneen. I'm like, who is this person? I just mm-hmm. like the way he writes his dictionary. This is oddly poetic, and then. I found out he was a Jesuit who just ventured into Gale Talks to study, you know, Irish from the speakers and just, I, I, I don't know. Like I've always liked dictionaries. I remember in an etym- like not an etymology class, like a um, linguistics class in college, like sociolinguistics pertaining to the history of the English language. I got really interested in different methods of dictionary writing and kind of how some of the first English language dictionaries came about, which was just people sending in words and working for a dictionary used to be kind of an aspiration of mine. So it's interesting that I came all the way back 
around to this 10 years <laughs> later, 15 years later after academia kind of wrapped up for me, mm. you know, undergrad phase. So it's just, it's been, it's been interesting. Uh, but yeah, Deneen was, he's a Jesuit and just really the way I kind of see it is he almost, you know, he feels this vocational call to serve God and then feels a second one to go just serve the Irish language, serve Irish speakers, like go preserve this language and not just the word and what it means is the word and how people use it. It's very, the dictionary is very colloquial. It very much phrases the Irish language in a very particular moment in time, which was this one, the one I'm, one I'm working for is from 1904. So it's pretty interesting time in Irish history, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's been, it's been a trip. It's been something I never really expected to fall into. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. What would you say has been kind of a, Something that's maybe like one thing whenever I look through Deneen's is it, the thing that always surprises me is it's like you said, it's that poetic approach to it and how obviously a dictionary in a very kind of clinical sense um, can be very useful, like um, maybe a lot of more modern dictionaries. But because of Deneen's approach, like this dictionary ends up having so many other values in terms of like for so many different disciplines that are interested in um, Irish cultural studies. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say was like, is there any kind of word that immediately jumps out to you that you kind of looked at more just like, wow, do you have any off the top of your head or is that kind of too broad of a question? <laughs> I was just thinking about this the other day because the word I'm working with right now, um, Logronic, is like abounding in porchlight is the way he defines it. And he always, he uses this so much, abounding in something, Mm. like abounding in thistles, abounding (laughs) in dogs, abounding in flagstones, like just this phrasing. I, he uses it so much. And I, I really like that. I don't know why. Um, I just, just you saying that, you know, it has all these different uses beyond a dictionary that kind of reminds me of kind of dipping into like, you know, OM alphabet and stuff and how that itself had, had different uses beyond just how we as modern users of an alphabet conceive of an alphabet. Like it was used for divination. It was used for all these different ways that we we don't understand. And I wonder if maybe the dictionary is kind of hearkening back to that and probably overthinking it, but it also, it reminds me of almost like a poem that's using a dictionary as a framework. It's, it's very, yeah. It's very strange and ahead of its time, I think, for 1904, but maybe not. You know, I found a lot of the writing around that time period to be um, surprisingly progressive and, and poetic and yeah. modern. So. Yeah, that's, so, that's such an interesting point. I suppose a lot of it even, I'm just like, it's such an interesting transitionary period for Ireland because it's sort of moving out of um, the English state from 1904 onwards, forming into the mm-hmm. Irish state, but it's kind of maybe just before those, um, those, uh, um, not even industries, but institutions were formalized within the new Irish state. Um, you know, I always find it interesting to look at, we were speaking about it last week on our show about the Irish Folklore Commission, but you see like the first white paper on censorship comes out the same year as the Irish Folklore Society and follows up by the Irish Folklore Commission, followed up by Douglas. You know, they, they're all, uh, all those institutions kind of appear very uh, quickly all at once. And 
yeah, I suppose that kind of time period before them is is a bit more open because you don't have that kind of state regulation coming into play quite just then. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's because I'm trying to think of some of his contemporaries, you know, like O'Leary and stuff. Like there, there's a lot of people who were who were poets at the same time that they were historians and researchers. Like it was a still, it was still all kind of commingled together, mm. um, and that's always really fascinated me. Mm, absolutely. Um, the one I was saying there, like one of the posts of yours that really stood out to me was um, a photograph. So it, it uh, you kind of start saying, unrelated to Deneen, but while I'm harvesting a nice batch of words, here's a bit of writing I did the other day. And you have this beautiful piece of writing and then accompanied is this photograph of the these two um, two children. Um, and they're they're not wearing shoes. And you kind of speak about how I don't want to speak for you now. Maybe, are you familiar with the one I'm talking about? Yes, yes, I, I, can, I can picture it in my head. Yeah, um, and you give a great, um, yeah, two siblings, Connemara, 1900. Um, and yeah, you kind of challenge this idea we have that when we look at these photos, that our initial reaction is, oh, look at the poverty of these people, poor Irish pauper babies. Um, but actually, you make a great point of looking past that into the actual materials that are present. Um, and the actual, the fineness of their clothing. Um, yeah, it was just, I always remember it as being a really interesting sort of different look at this that really, uh, I think I, w- I was still in first year when I first looked at this and it really changed how I kind of approached a lot of research. Um, and yeah, I suppose your further words do this a lot. They kind of, they're, because they're looking at the living tradition um, as Deneen was recording it, I think they kind of give us a great opportunity to sort of view things as they are. They allow us to at least construct a different story or a different narrative. Um, that's always been my feeling when I read through some of these just lovely words, you know? Um, yeah, and it's always, it's always odd for me to speak to, I guess, as an American, um, but I just, I just remember like growing up, just, let's see, I'm, you know, grew up in the nineties and such. So like the, the, the place my family came from in my head had such not negative connotations, but there was definitely like an idea that we came from somewhere for a better life kind mm-hmm. of thing. And what we left behind was hard mm-hmm. and difficult. And there was poverty, there was strife, there was, cause you know, there's a different waves where I grew up. There's a lot of people whose family came in the famine. And there's also a lot of people in the Boston area. A lot of my friends were second generation. Like they had grandparents and cousins. They would go home to around Christmas and such flights between Boston and Ireland are very cheap, you know, so especially around Christmas and such. So it's just a lot of their families would come over in the, in the fifties to the sixties, you know, forties, fifties, sixties. So there's just kind of different waves there. And I do, and a lot of the comments on the post, cause that, that post was written in reaction to comments I was seeing on that picture saying, mm-hmm. Oh, they're so poor. Like, this is so horrible. Like, and I do, I love historical fashion. My, my family were civil war reenactors, like oddly. And like, mm-hmm. I just, so I have kind of an, an eye for like historical fashion and stuff. I could just see uh, just this very well hemmed clothing and just, these aren't neglected children at all. These are, they're just barefoot. And that is something that I think is such an interesting, they just didn't wear shoes like that. The climate's too wet. You, you get 
you'd be better off not wearing them. It's warm and wet. But it's just, I don't know. It's just, there's a lot of narratives and definitely the peasant narrative has is, is started to increasingly bother me the more I learn through this dictionary and through the stuff it shows me about the life before colonialism that was preserved through colonialism and just that yeah, that's a great this way peasant image was only something that existed under colonialism. Like it's, uh, it's such a, and it's such a familiar narrative being American, kind of the way we, um, we package how we look at our own indigenous population. It's very similar. Um, so it's just, it's just been interesting, all the different parallels. <laughs> yeah. No, that's actually really, that's a really interesting way of putting it. Um, but yeah, that's funny. Cause even I found it funny cause I was like, it's crazy. I remember even thinking myself like, God, it's crazy that I am, you know, thinking all these things and, you know, like, um, of a reaction to what is, you know, like a post by an American. And I was like, that's such an interesting, um, way for that kind of to, to move. Um, because yeah, I suppose those narratives still happen here, even though they're, they, we should be able to challenge them a lot more easily. We often can't because like you said, like it's the recording was done by a colonial system. And so it becomes mm-hmm. sort of as part of that. And so, yeah, it's interesting to, to deconstruct those been, narratives. You know, a lot of this started as me trying to connect with my own heritage in a deeper way yeah. than, than binge drinking, you know? Like, <laughs> it, it was just so embarrassing. And, you know, I just, the, the more it kind of revealed to me about why my family kind of does some of the things they do, why they communicate some of the ways they do, it just, just weird things like, Learning that using your front door is strange. Learning that's a cultural thing. And that's a big thing in New England. Like, you don't, your front, your friends don't use your front door. They come in the side door usually without knocking. And learning that this is a cultural carryover that I didn't know about that's so is funny. very fascinating to me. Like, just these things that aren't a thing in the rest of America at all. I've left New England. A lot of New Englanders don't. I'm, a lot of Americans don't leave where they grew up. So I've kind of lived a lot of different places. And it wasn't until I left New England that I realized, oh, my God, where I came from is so Irish. It's not just <laughs> yeah. Boston. It's not just New England. And then, then just learning, you know, a lot of people where I went to college, a lot of them came, a lot of the Blaskets. Oh, no. Nope, we've had a bit of a cut out there. No. I feel like an audience member today. <laughs> and that was just oh. connecting with my heritage ended up kind of being something that a lot more people could connect to. And that's been mm. really enriching. Um, Which and, is- and honestly, it was, it was meant to sort of help Americans kind of connect in a deeper way. And I found it has a much broader appeal than I ever expected. So, yeah, no, that's really amazing. And like, would you, would you say that there's like, even like, pers- I'd be aware of a lot of research done on maybe the diaspora that ended up in places like Nova Scotia. Would you say that there's a lot of research done into areas like New Zealand and Boston that you're like you're aware of? New England. Um, um, New England as far as like in the U.S. goes, um, there's a lot of research in Chicago, Boston, New York. Those are kind of the three. Mm. There, a lot of attention is paid to those three cities and then also to a lesser extent, um, but increasingly more so, um, is Appalachia. Um, um, yeah. 
which it, it, the reason why it gets neglected is just because it is a rural working class region and just in many ways is neglected, but it's starting to, as a lot of grassroots movement of people are very invested in their region's history. Um, but there's so much cultural carryover there. Um, I, I mean, it, it's often funny to me to hear people who've never heard trad before be like, wait, this sounds like country. I'm like, yeah, of course it sounds like country. (laughs) It also sounds like bluegrass. There's a reason that's who played country and bluegrass. Like it's just, it's very interesting, but there's not a lot of writing about um, the Irish in the urban South, uh, which is kind of where I, that's where I live um, is Memphis. It's a, the city in the, in the South. Um, But the Irish built the levee here. They, they did a lot. They moved here. Um, a lot died of yellow fever. There was a lot more in New Orleans. Um, there were a lot of Irish people who came to New Orleans and ventured up along the Mississippi River. And no one writes about that. No one writes about the Irish in these lower river cities here. Mm. God, that's so interesting. Yeah, my brain yeah, is like, like a lot of exploding. the iron work, iron work is really big in Memphis, like ornamental metalwork. And a lot of that was, was Irish made. So that's mm. kind of... You know, it's a very ancient craft, so it's it's neat. Like, yeah, yeah. No, that's got my brain like buzzing. I'm like, I'm yeah, yeah. That's so exciting. I just think I don't know if, and I can be heard right now, but I want to oh, say sorry. something about Appalachia. I, I'll save it for the end if you like. Um, I don't want to interrupt yeah, go anyone. Ahead. Go ahead. Um, I think it's it's kind of ironic how places all over the world that have way less kind of standardized collection of folklore or like kind of more things written about them have a more rich sense of folklore so I think the first the first thing that I think of when I think of Appalachia at least are all the folk tales and kind of creatures cryptids is that what they're called I don't know you know things like that um and that's literally all I wanted to say I wasn't prepared sorry (laughs) I just started talking but you do you know what I mean I think it's it's so good for the collection to be standardized and for it to be all over the place but also it's the places where you wouldn't look, have the most rich. I don't know what I'm saying. I just started talking. You know what I mean. I'll, I'll, I'll reword it in a few minutes. No, Appalachia has some very, very rich folklore and oral tradition, for sure. Um, and I think a lot of that is the mixing of you have Native Americans, you have you know African diaspora, and you have Irish diaspora. Those are three yeah. groups of people with very rich oral tradition. And I think... It's where you get a lot of this stuff. Where, where I grew up, um, Bridgewater Triangle is known as a paranormal hotspot. Um, there's cryptids galore there. There's, you know, a thing called a puck wedgie, which is a Native American thing. There's, you know, Will of the Wisp sightings. Like, there's there's a lot of weird stuff where I'm from. So it's the same Have you thing. ever seen one? Have you ever uh, been witness to any of these cryptids? I must know. Yes, actually. Um I was driving, this is such a weird story. Um, so I was driving, it's a town south of Boston. It's called Norwood and it's right kind of in the middle-ish of Hockamock Swamp, which is where I grew up. Hockamock means place where spirits dwell in Wampanoag. And it's kind of like shamanic land. There was some burial territory. It's where King Philip uh, met a comet is his actual name. He was the son of Massasoit, who's the Native Americans, the Puritans first met when they when they moved here. Um, he was the chief. He his son was was killed out in Hockamock Swamp at the end of King Philip's War, which until Wounded Knee was one of the worst massacres 
of Native Americans happened, like, right up the road from me. That's how, it's such a crazy story. Like, um, the, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and the New England colonies almost collapsed. Like, all the Native Americans banded together across ancient lines of hating each other to band against the colonists <laughs> and almost won. So, but sadly did not. Um, and, yeah, that wrapped up in the woods right where I grew up. Um, so the, that swamp is is notorious for, for things. And I was driving, like, right through it and saw like a bright flash of green light and it kind of ebbed away. It was in a clearing just, just to the left of where I was driving and flashed a couple times, not as bright. And it almost looked like someone was walking with a lantern, but I couldn't see anyone. Oh, yeah. And it was more the accompanying fear of dread that I, I couldn't really shake. And I just floored it just straight all the way back home. Um, and I kind of put it in the back of my mind. I joked around that I saw a UFO. I was like, I just, I don't know how to explain it. So it's unidentified to me. I don't know. Um, and then later I was watching a documentary about the Bridgewater Triangle and a woman almost cited word for word what I saw and said what I had been thinking at the time. That's not swamp gas. I grew up in a swamp. I know what that looks like. And I was just like, oh my God. And then I learned it's called a will of the wisp and Chino Wadarua, like, you know, fire of the fox or what have you. And I just... That was kind of weird. I don't know if that's what I saw, but it was definitely something strange. That's so cool. There's a lot of people in my area who, who do medium stuff, who do ghost hunting. It's a big, it's a big thing where I'm from. So. That's so cool. I'm really sorry for derailing the entire conversation from the Dinita Day uh, Instagram. I just needed to know <laughs> about that folkloric oh, aspect. That's brilliant. I love that. Thank it's you. It's just for that. neat that this stuff exists. Like, you know that there's people in, you know, Pawtucket, Rhode Island, who are talking about Will of the Wisp, you know, it's just, that's, it's just crazy, I don't know, <laughs> the things that get carried across oceans and time. Mm. It's so cool that every single culture around the world has the same kind of stories, like, this is not the same thing, but Will of the Wisp, we have stuff like the Banshee and stuff, every single place has some sort of oh, story about something, and then it's carried through generations and generations. And, you know, there's the question of, did it start on the continent? Did it start in America? Did it start here? Where did these folkloric uh, kind of motifs start for them to be everywhere? The same kind of underlying dread, the same witness of lights or like people. You know what I mean? The supernatural element is everywhere. I just think, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I mean, it's you see that a lot in, in like Deneen's work. Like there's... I know this is like kind of heavily written about is, you know, just kind of a lot of the things he, he will say speak to these undercurrent of unseen worlds and just the, the high degree of polysemy in Irish, just like, you know, one word can have a bunch of different meanings and they're all metaphorical, which is so weird just from like a linguistic standpoint. Like mm -hmm. most of the time when a word has different meanings, it just has to do with usage. It doesn't have to do with, idiom like that's so weird like just, so, and I, I think i think you know a lot of it does have to do with with this idea of in this context it means this but in at this time of day like if the fairies are involved it could mean this like so I, I think that that is just yeah it is it is wonderful that that is preserved in language it's wonderful that it's preserved through culture for sure um no, totally. I'm trying to think of some examples, but I, I, I know what you mean. Those kind of, those wonderful words where in it can be the most sort of mundane word that you use every day, 
but then in certain contexts where there is like like you said like the the fairies present suddenly it becomes this word with like a, a million other other meanings um and i'm even just thinking now of um one word that i always find really sad just because when i i used to do um like translation stuff for the uh european uh youth parliament Jeez. um <laughs> i don't know, I don't know that. That. it was only a few times but um we like i remember i, had, I was writing this big piece about rural depopulation and i was writing about bonu natuha which is the irish word for it and i was like it was just funny. I had never actually thought about what the word meant. It was like very much like a learnt word for me. Um, and it was only when I like looked into what it was. And it's this incredibly sad word. Like it means Bonu is in like the bleaching, bleaching of the, of the countryside. Because as, as like a, a rural area depopulates, it bleaches. Like the ground goes from being fertile and used to, suddenly becoming totally unused and it's just one of those words that stuck with me because I had written all of these documents using this word like not even thinking of it twice and it's the word you'll see used by the Irish government to refer to this and yeah I just it's I, I always find that 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 beauty of language I suppose. that is heartbreaking I know oh my god <laughs> <laughs> so some of these words do hit me like a ton of bricks yeah. um it's been I mean, language, it's, it's humans. I think that's our primary art form. You know, we speak mm. before anything else, I think. I mean, maybe rhythm, things like that. But I mean, we, and I think by, through studying language, you can get such a sense of like the emotionality of things. Mm. And like, that's just so much in, in one word. And I, and just studying. Oh no, I've cut out again. I'll just wait two seconds there. Um, Apologies, you just cut out there. Would you mind repeating that? Sorry. Oh, very good. Uh, I was just saying it's been really visceral, you know, to mm. unpack these layers using using language, which is such a intimate art form for humans. I think. Yeah. Um, like I'm trying to scroll through some of the ones. I don't know, like I read a lot about like burial ritual, like those are some of the words that I'll kind of come across um, and speak a lot. Mm. Do you have any any favorites that come to mind? Yeah, I'm looking at um, Tanakai, which is, it means wave making. It's kind of the breakdown of that, you know, ton being Irish for wave and tonic mm. means billowing or wave-like. Mm -hmm. um, so this is the, it makes it a verbal noun, the act of causing something to billow or become wave-like. Oh, um, wow. It's the washing of a body before death is mm -hmm. the way this word is defined. Wow. And, um, you know, that was something I was thinking about this, this burial ritual and kind of being stripped of the ability to do that through, through mass deaths. Yeah. And then there's other words I learned like Biokina. That, that, that's a word that really like a lament for somebody who has gone but not dead, like a living oh, lament. Wow. And, and just this idea of people just being gone and, and you just never you see them again. Like that's just it. They're, they're off somewhere else. And yeah, it's just it's words like that that I'll just kind of sit and stare at for a while. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, it just kind of like hits or like resonates over me. They're like, oh my God, like this is just... Mm. 
says so much. Yeah. It's really, like, I've, I always find it interesting thinking about the kind of, you know, the the culture necessary for those words, you know? I mean, like, like that's obviously, like, anyone who's interested in words, that's what you're interested in as well. But, uh, like, the, the keening, I think, is just something so, so beautiful and so kind of unique, just mostly, be, and especially because it's one of those traditions that was so ancient and is now no longer there, per se. You do see like revival efforts, but in terms of as like a continuous tradition, it's really it's hard to draw like a, a line for it nowadays. Um, yeah, it also does kind of emphasize the culture of Ireland. With you know, there was so much emigration and so many people leaving. The you know sentiment behind that word of like someone's gone but not dead is more was more relevant to us than a lot of other countries it would have been. It just, I don't know, it kind of reflects the culture. Um, I don't, yeah, when, when I think of words like that and, you know, the word where it's like washing the body, it, it also reflects our culture of just death, uh, which I know every culture has immense amounts of death, um, but from various things in, in our country, like obviously the famine, but like the cholera epidemic, everything, it just, it makes, <laughs> it seems so depressing, but it, you know, these standalone words, the fact that we have these standalone words really reflect the emphasis that was on these things. And like, it's a cultural reflection. So, yeah, I just think that's cool. I think it's cool. Yeah. You know, because like, yeah, and in, in doing this work, you'll run across words like, I remember seeing once like a body dead of the plague is a word, like mm. a body that's, mm. that's dead and exposed, like to the elements is a word, like just these ways of disambiguating corpses, like that's not, normal like you know like yeah it's just uh and just yeah these 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 scars of intergenerational trauma that are left on like linguistic scars is Mm. just Mm. it's a lot like it's hard for me to kind of articulate that um despite being so removed from and geographically and such and my mom does a lot of genealogy work and Mm. you know we she was looking at and one guy just kind of looking at when he left, he, he left and joined the military. And then, you know, it's weird, you know, he's supposed to be conscripted for 21 years. It turns up in Ellis Island seven years later. We have no idea what happened with that. Um, but <laughs> it's like, he never saw his mother again. You know, he leaves for the military and then mm. off to America and just his mother dies while he's between there and there. And just, wow. Like, it's just very impactful. Like you just leave your entire family. Like I, it's, it's something that's even though I, I live very far from, you know, geographically far from my family, it's still, you know, mm. I still see them every few years. Like, it's just, yeah. 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 It's pretty, it, it's, it's crazy to think about. Um, but it's, it's really incredible the way that you've been able to, like, you know, if I, if I you, you've said like a few times, like, I kind of struggle to, I struggle to, you know, a word that or I struggle to find that and yet when I read your things I'm like I've never heard this worded so well before yeah, so <laughs> <know>? concise <laughs> yeah. um because like it it is I think it's incredible the way you're able to draw upon your own experience as someone who like has an Irish heritage and it grew up seeing the impacts of that heritage even unconsciously um and you're able to find those connections through the dictionary that even maybe like like someone like me I 
because maybe that's not what I'm looking for all the time. You know, I don't have that that need to look for that. That maybe sometimes I miss out on those connections. Mm-hmm. And so, like since I've started following your your account, I've definitely found myself when I'm looking at Denise's dictionary, I'm much more competent at like saying, "Oh, that's interesting. Like that is very similar to this." And it might be a dead end, but it's a good thing to like think about. And it's been it's been really interesting. Um, I just like to ponder. Like I mean, mm. a lot of these words, like I don't, I have kind of a rule. Um, which I broke recently. My most recent post um, was because I was reading something about Vikings and I just ended up finding a word about Vikings and writing about it. But usually I just kind of open randomly and just find a word that jumps out at me. I don't really plan them. Um, and yeah, I just kind of enjoy the journey it takes me on. Yeah. Um, but I think just, just you speaking about how these aren't things that you typically look for. I mean, I, I have received that like too too much not as much as i was expecting um but there is kind of like a little bit of you're outside of you know academia you can't write about this or you yeah, are yeah. american you can't write about this and that's just annoying yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> i mean all the academic gatekeeping especially it's like really like you're yeah, gonna gatekeep yeah. a you know ancient indigenous language <laughs> with, with academia okay like <laughs> that's a little annoying but um the american thing like i definitely understand um and I try to like write from that perspective, but at the same time, I think when you have someone who isn't necessarily an outsider, but is definitely like coming from a different angle, you notice things about what you're used to that yeah. you didn't. You're just, just a fresh pair of eyes. Like I, I moved to like Memphis is a place that most people who live here are from here. Mm. Um, a lot, but a lot of people left and then came back. Like it's 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 a very it's people's hometown. So I'm coming, I'm moving into someone's hometown. And that's strange. A lot of people are like, why did you move to Memphis? Like no one moves here and just this kind of thing. And it's, and then I tell them stuff about how great their city is. And they're just like, wait, huh? (laughs) I I never, I never thought about that before. Like a big thing, people strike up conversations with each other here very organically. Like someone Mm. will just say, Hey, I like your shirt. And you end up talking and yeah. They're like, what do you mean? Other cities aren't like that. I'm like, no, <laughs> no. If you like look at someone too long where I'm from, you get cussed out. Like I just, <laughs> people are crazy other places. So it's just, I think people need a fresh pair of eyes sometimes. Totally. Like they need kind yeah. of a different mm-hmm. perspective on something. Yeah. You see your own environment anew in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, like, beyond Deneen's, um dictionary, what are kind of other, are there any, like, other writers or people or resources that you often kind of find yourself going to again and again? Oh, my God, yeah. Um, also, I'm sorry, I'm like, my sinuses are destroyed right now. Our weather's been insane oh, here recently. Um, trying to think i have a brief social history of ancient ireland that's a that's a resource i go to quite frequently it's from the 1920s i believe um it's excellent um i trying to think what else um a lot of like i pay to read a lot of a lot of articles just like scholarly stuff like for this um the viking thing i was just reading i or writing i was reading a genetic study of genomes of people wow. in, in you know scandinavia and such 
That was interesting. <laughs> it, it, yeah. There's a lot. It's a, there's a lot of different stuff. I have. Um, there's a really interesting book that's like a. It's a book about astrology. From like the Druid to the medieval era, which is very very interesting, because um, that's kind of hard to find good reference stuff mm. about, which is annoying because you know, some of the best astronomers were were in Ireland and. Yeah. A lot of it's drowned out by lunar tree zodiac and just kind of stuff like that that has nothing, no real basis in history. So it's nice to have some some reference books about that. Um, yeah, no, I have a, a lot. Like a lot of my books are just reference books that I'll kind of piece through. I have a really good book I've been reading about Boston, and even just coming from there, these are stories I, I didn't know like about you know, the Broad Street riots, and that's why the first police force, municipal police force in the United States was formed, is following the Broad Street riots um, to control the Irish population in Boston. <laughs> wow. Just, yeah, there, there's like a, uh, a bunch of, is the Bucket Brigade, like before there was a fire department, there was just volunteers <laughs> who would take buckets of water places. Um, they had just fought a fire and won, and were getting drunk about it, and they crossed paths with a Catholic funerary procession on Broad Street, and there was a huge brawl that lasted for hours, and there were just hundreds of people in the streets fighting, um, which is very Boston even still today. And yeah, there is a police force was formed the very next year to kind of clamp down on these sorts of things. So there's, I have a lot of a lot of history books. Um, I'd say these are things I'm more used to write about extraneous stuff, not necessarily Deneen itself. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. At the moment, uh, the, the post I'm working on now um, has me reading about the process to electrify rural Ireland. So, oh, like, so I, I read, like, just, yeah. like, off-the-wall stuff. Yeah. Um, That's brilliant. Yeah, I, I'm writing about the, the water dams at... at and the Shannon, which I had no idea about. I And now I'm finding out that where I live was actually the first, um, the Tennessee Valley Authority was the first public um, electric um, regional revitalization act in the United States um, to get the rural community here on a better standard of living. So wow, crazy parallels all, yeah, the time. all the time. <laughs> but That's I end up reading stuff that I like, I'm opening a document. I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be so boring. And I'm just like, preparing myself um but ending up reading some of the most interesting stuff i've ever read in my life like, it's amazing yeah because like even now you've said that i'm just thinking about even on the lee like which is the river that runs through cork um the the they dammed the um they dammed it basically farther up which is where the gira was which was this area of it, it it's funny it was like i i found a book on it um, just like in the bookshop one day and I read this book um, oh god I should try and remember who it's by cause, um, um, I think he's actually from the area uh, I think it's called Cush and Guira um, and it's a no sorry that's actually a different book I'll, I'll post it into our bio on Instagram <laughs> or something it's not too bad now but it's this uh, oh it's called Saving Eden that's what the book's called Saving Eden oh. And it was all about the Gira, which was this like just incredibly uh, dense forest that was located in the Lee Valley. 
Um, it was marshy. Uh, it could only be navigated by the locals, pretty much. They had their own specially designed boats for navigating. It was just an incredibly unique area. There's now theories oh, that it wow. might have been the only like primeval rainforest that was still around. And it's just mm. incredible, incredible, incredible history. Um, and then it was completely flooded. Um, completely flooded. Yeah, it was for this dam and the people, they all had to flee. At that point, like it had been declining, obviously, in population as an area anyway, because it was, you know, a modernizing Ireland. And But um, they had, you know, built a bridge into it and all this kind of stuff. But the stories out of it were just incredible. It had like some of the last kind of um, runaway putching makers that were like operating huge operations from inside this forest because the army just could the British army could not take this place this was like the stories that are told from there oh my god that's wonderful it's really I, 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 I wrote down saving Eden I have to yeah <laughs> You're, it's, it's there's pretty... some like where I live like it's just always interesting for me to describe America to other people because it's just vast uh, I live right above like the Mississippi Delta and Arkansas is wild there's a lot of like cypress swamps and that's mm. kind of what they're only, you can only navigate by boat kind of situation. Like people from Arkansas are, are a trip. Like they are, <laughs> they're wild. Um, yeah. I mean, you'd form a pretty uh, unique, I think, culture living in that kind of environment. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, environment shapes the person and then the person shapes the environment and vice versa. Like it's really cool. Sorry. I just remembered it's by Kevin Corcoran as well. Um, okay. And, um, but I, I, funny enough then I, I kind of, you know, I read this book and I was talking to my aunt about it and I was just like, I thought it was so cool and I didn't really think much of it. And then, um, like, uh, um, two weeks later she came back to me with a, a book written by my grandfather <laughs> called Cushanguira because my great grandfather was from, um, nearby there, like very nearby. No um, way. Yeah, it was just crazy. And so my, my grandfather had written this book compiling loads of songs and poems from the area. Um, yeah, pretty much just like a compilation of different recorded songs that were from the area. And it was just one of the trippiest moments ever. It was like, <laughs> it's like, you know, it, I, I think it just, yeah, what you're saying reminded me of it. When you kind of open up a book or a thing, and you're like, oh, this will be cool or interesting, but probably not really. And then suddenly it's like, yeah, I think that was the gear was like my life last year. It was all I all I could talk about. <laughs> I end up reading about the craziest stuff. Like I'm reading about lobster trawling. Like there was one day where I the word was a female crab and I'm like, why does that matter? And actually it matters very much. It's like crustaceans yeah. are one of the only animals where it does matter what sex they are. Um you have to throw the females back if they've laid an egg and notch the tail. Like that's Yeah. So now I'm watching all this stuff from lobster fishermen out of, out of Maine and and Nova Scotia talking about this stuff. I mean, it's funny, my friend's brother's a lobsterman, once so I'm like texting her, asking her about all this stuff. And it's just, <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> it's just, I'm such a city kid. I'm reading about sheep dipping and people <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, literally dipping sheep in arsenic. And these are just stuff that just have no context in my world whatsoever. And I just get to kind of travel around and... Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing oh that's brilliant um, and then of course I'm bugging people with these facts for days like I remember one I learned was about finding horse skulls underneath barns all across rural Ireland 
Oh. And when, when I learned about this, I'm, I'm texting my family, like, what do you think they're for? What do you think they're for? Three guesses, you know? And they're just, <laughs> I don't know, like, ritual stuff. I don't know, this or that, you know, hiding, hiding stuff from the English. I'm like, I just, I said, for dancing. It's acoustics. It's a sound box. Oh it's your Kaylee in this in the barn and it makes the the dance steps louder like it just blew my mind because i grew That's up irish amazing. dancing so this is just amazing how did they figure that out for me to learn and <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah you and i guess the norse like, um, would build similar things out of skulls like yeah why not? <laughs> god that's amazing <laughs> yeah Eva just said um how did they figure that one out <laughs> People remembered like that. Like that's yeah. what I was reading. Is just some people were like, "Oh yeah, that, that's that's for it's a, to make the dance steps louder." The oh, old people were all good. for sport. Is what I remember reading the like, verbatim. The guy was saying like, "Yeah, you know, the old folks just they just dance and get drunk all the time and wanted to make it louder." Like it's just that's amazing. Someone remembered when they built the barn because these were built in the you know late seventeen hundreds, and so it's not ancient. Like it's. Mm. it's that's amazing. Even um, yeah. the kind of broadness of your research made me think of another word you spoke about, which is foot like the murmuring of bees. Oh my God. Yeah, that's a great it. one. And it's just, it popped in my head as well because St. Gubnet's Day is coming up soon now. It's the 11th of February. Yeah. And that she's the actually yeah, patron saint of bees in Ireland, um, but also um, the translation of Gubnet into like the English equivalent name. There's two actually. There's, oh, I think it could be Abigail and Deborah, uh, because Deborah, I think, is the Hebrew or Arabic for bees. Mm. So that was the That's so cool. that was the okay. connection made between the new names. I, I might need to double check that. I don't want to say the wrong thing now, but um, yeah, it just made me think of your your amazing post about bees, in which you went through this incredible history of bees um, and beekeeping in Ireland and the power of it, and yeah. Oh, yes, yeah, that was stuff I, I was reading from the smaller social history of ancient Ireland. And I was reading just excerpts from, I, I can never say it, it's the Beckbraha, yeah, the Bee Laws. Yeah. Uh, there's t- like 20 entire pages of the Brahe Laws are dedicated to beekeeping. Um, just also to cats and dairy and bees. <laughs> like that was just life, like back then. Um, there's milk and honey. Yeah, exactly. milk and honey. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, I'm just realizing now we're kind of reaching a 50-minute mark of our conversation. Um, So we might wrap it up now, but um, Mm. thank you so, so much for coming on. It's been so interesting. Um, Yeah, this is really lovely. Yeah, it was really brilliant. Thank you so much. I have to reach across. Thank you so much for coming on. (laughs) Yeah, no problem. Brilliant. And just so everyone knows, that's um, Enda Brennan, and you can follow them uh, via at Deneen a day, and I'll actually spell it out because D I N N E E N A D A Y. So definitely give them a follow because absolutely they are blowing our minds over here. Little bits of valuable <laughs> knowledge every day. It's nice to write about something that very very niche that I love to write about and have people just love it. It's been it's... oh terrible oh. time to cut out. <laughs> Sorry, there you've cut out again. Oh, no. oh, sorry. Oh, okay. Cut out again there. Sorry. <laughs> I just said it's, it's, it's wonderful <laughs> to be able to, you know, write about something so niche and have people really enjoy it. It's been, yeah. it's been great. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Well, thank you so much again for coming on. Um, that's all for us here this week at Banshee Banter. 
Uh, Lamisha James Amorha. August Misha, Ifni Lamasta. Slan Anish. Slan Liv.